Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 127 of A Play on Nerds. I'm one of your co-hosts, Steve, and the other guy is Jarman. And we are here to co-host the hell out of this thing. And it's been Thanks a while. Thanks for coming back. I know we've had a break, but uh, a lot of events happen in both of our lives, and then a hurricane happened in the middle. Always oh, yeah. throws you off. Completely. So we've been off for a little bit, but the important thing is we're back now. Yes, we are back. And we're never going to go away again until the next time we go away. <laughs> until the next time this happens. Maybe, maybe next Dragon Con yes. or something happens with Joyce. Or a hurricane. Or a hurricane. <laughs> There's still more <laughs> of those to come, apparently. Yes, that's what I've heard. They're all hitting Alabama, so I've heard from the president. <laughs> well, I mean, he did circle it. It is official. With a Sharpie. So that means it's, it's just happening. like middle school. Yeah. Uh, Cause you can't erase it. That's how it works. <laughs> so, uh, so what have we, we've been away for like three weeks. What have you been up to? Uh, well, I was working like crazy before to try to go to dragon con. So I was trying to make enough money to make it worth it to go. And I just barely did by putting in long 12 hour days and, um, ignoring all my friends and family. Um, and yes. then drove up there and, uh, Got there, and my friends that were new to Dragon Con were freaking out because Hurricane was about to hit Orlando, where we're coming from. And I was trying to tell them the whole time that 90% of the hurricanes we get on the news are overblown by the news. They're like, well, for Orlando, anyways. I mean, I feel terrible about what happened right. with Bahamas and stuff, and then the Keys and that kind of thing. But for because, Orlando, yeah. it's very rare for something to really hit Orlando hard. It happened maybe four times over my whole life. Um, it's been pretty bad. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't tell them my, my friends they're overreacting, they're wrong because it could happen. But I'm like, just why don't you take it easy and wait until we find out from the news what happens and we can wait and you know go from there. And uh, but instead, they decided they were gonna go home two days early from Dragon Con. People who drove me, um, I had worked so much to get to go to Dragon Con that I wasn't gonna go home two days early. I'm like, I'll find a way home. So I look online and the wonderful Spirit Airlines. Had a thirty-five dollar flight. Oh, <laughs> so that, that's what they're known for is being wonderful. Oh yeah, of course. But there, you get what you pay for, Spirit. And so thirty-five dollars for the flight. Then it was forty dollars for my checked bag. So my bag was more expensive than the flight itself. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And then my bag went went over. So I had to pay uh, thirty more dollars for my bag for an overweight baggage. Yeah. yeah. So overall, though, still a really cheap flight with all that combined. Uh, so that was going to be going back on Tuesday, a day after Dragon Con was over. But then on Tuesday uh, afternoon, the Orlando airport closes preemptively just in case something happens. So my flight gets canceled. So I'm stuck in Atlanta until Thursday at that point. Uh, so I, luckily enough, my old roommate, uh, now lives in Atlanta with his wife. Uh, so I was able to stay with them in their apartment. They were super sweet to host me there for a few days. Um, and I got to experience all of Dragon Con and have a great time and meet up with our old friend, Sean Vanderloo of the Soul Forge and Rusted Robot podcast. 
Um, and a lot of, we share a lot of listeners with their podcast, so you might have already heard this, but I have a little bit of a cut down version of our interview we had together. Uh, first in my room, and then we get kicked out of my room because all my friends came in to party and stuff. So we went out in the hallway and it was a little echoey. But uh, we'll go ahead and play that here. It's about a little nine minute interview and just us chatting and catching up and meeting for the first time. So here it is. Hey, German. Hey, Sean. How the hell's it going? It's going well. We're here live at DragonCon 2019. We are, and you made a long trek to get here. <laughs> I did. I did, because I had to drive 22-plus hours oh, over two days so I could meet you in person after five years of knowing you podcast-wise. That's ridiculous. And we I've been fortunate to meet a few of the podcasting friends that are on this show as well, like Paul Wright, who just recorded your last Russian Robot podcast. Yes. He came down to Disney because I live in Orlando. And people come to Disney all the time, so I got to meet him. That was fun. But uh, yeah, this is crazy. Yes. So it's been what five years ish? Oh my god, five, five years plus. And years. your show's gone through a lot in five years. <laughs> it certainly has. It certainly has. Uh, but uh, how did we meet? Was it through Ten Forward Podcast? It must have been. Yeah, and I think I've so. met so many people through that one podcast. That's what got us going. And apparently, it's coming back ish. I've heard rumors. From uh, Daniel Peter Hitch is going to do some episodes or something? Yes, because he listened to the episode of Soul Forge where oh. I talked about how to start your own podcast, and it inspired him. Well, look at that. Soul Forge doing more for people. Right? <laughs> That's what it's all about, Jarman. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, we met uh, for the first time, what, two or three nights ago? Yep. And um, it's awesome. Good yeah. to meet you in person. And uh, <laughs> came down to Georgia and stayed at uh, Mike and Judy's house. They were kind enough to set us up and let nice. us stay in their place i got to meet uh robert j sawyer in person yesterday favorite author past uh, guest in the podcast a past guest on episode 13 of rusted robot yeah that's right um took a selfie with him and uh, met him for real oh and we have guests <laughs> hello this will be an outtake for the podcast there you go. Oh, yeah so we're, we're currently sitting in a room with six people for a dragon con because you oh, share the, the, the room that's maybe four and six <laughs> Like, they will pick this up in a bit. So uh, the party came to our room with uh, several of my friends that drove up from Orlando for DragonCon. And uh, we're all staying in a room with six people, so it's uh, a little bit congested. So we're in the hallway now. Now we're in the hallway recording. That's a little echoey, but that's okay. Yeah. How, uh, how long did it take you to drive up? Uh, six and a half hours from Orlando. Okay. So not as bad as your 27 or whatever hours. It was, it was a lot of hours. Uh, so you escaped the hurricane? Just barely. So Hurricane Dorian is coming into Orlando right now, and so I'm going to be trapped in Atlanta. Um, I can't drive back with my friends. I'm going to fly back around Thursday. So you're staying at uh, the Ritz, I believe. Yes, it's very fancy, the Ritz-Carlton. So it's just good to finally meet you in person. It's uh, I did all the panels that I wanted to do. I got to see Robert Sawyer. I got to see the Star Trek Discovery panel. Oh, we both put it together. It was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Well, kind of together. You were sitting farther away from me, but it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, so we had Spock and we had Captain Pike. And we had, who else was there? Uh, Shazad Latif, Shazad Latif. And, and Mary Chifo. Yes. Emily Coates. Uh, was supposed to be there. Lieutenant Detmer was supposed to be there, and she wasn't. That was very sad. It was sad. Anson Mount, amazing guy. Such Hilarious. Guy. And he's a podcast, apparently. Yeah, he has a podcast. I had no idea he had a podcast. The Well. The Well. It's kind of like creativity, apparently. So it's kind of related to Soul Forge a little bit that way. But being a creative person and talent and pulling from your well, I guess. I guess that's yeah. what it is. I haven't listened to it. But he's a gorgeous man. And, I'm a straight man, but man, that's a good looking man. He's a good looking guy. Yeah, yes. Looking yeah. Guy. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Like dashing like a George Clooney or something like that. But better. But better. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't find George Clooney. Yeah, not, not really. No. no, I'm more Ransom Mount guy. Yeah, totally. Totally Ransom <laughs> Mount. Yeah. But uh, did that, and uh, that was Friday, and today's 
Saturday? Yeah. Yes. Cause we, <laughs> what day is it? Yeah. It's, it's hard to keep track. Uh, so I went and saw The Boys. You were there. Carl Urban and Jack Wade. Great show, great panel. Before that, I saw George Takei's panel, uh, moderated by Garrett Wong. Oh, nice, nice. And, of Voyager fame. Ensign Harry Kim himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did something else this morning, too, which I can't remember anymore. The robot thing. Well, there was a robot thing. Um, so much in one day. Yeah, I, I can't keep it all. So Garrett Wong, folks, uh, from Voyager, Ensign Harry Kim, as you said, he's actually in charge of the fan track at DragonCon of organizing all the events and getting the guests. He's actually the head of the Trek track at DragonCon, which I don't know how much work he actually does for that, but apparently he's the figurehead of it. He's here every single year. And he, he's a lot of fun. He's a fun guy. I had a picture taken with him several years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good times. Nice. Yeah. And I think Shatner's here this year, too. Uh, he comes in tomorrow. Oh, okay. He's here Sunday, Monday, but I have to leave Sunday morning gotcha. for the 22, 24, 25-hour drive back home. <laughs> right. But he usually tells the same stories every time. So if you watch one on YouTube, you've kind of seen them all. And at this age, he's kind of just repeating the same things. Yeah, he's like 86 or 88 or 89 or something. Yeah, props to him for still coming out. <laughs> he needs the money, apparently. But he has a new show, too, I think, on TV. Something really? Like a Mysteries of the World kind of show or something like that. Oh, he's always doing one of those. Yeah, kind of he's got another one, yeah. apparently. I don't know. Cashing those checks. <laughs> That's what he does. <laughs> That's it. So for me at DragonCon, typically it means there's parties here that go until 5.30 in the morning. And I'm getting a little older, 33 years old now, oh. and it's, it's a little hard. Yeah, young youngling compared to you, I guess. But it's uh, still fun to go out, but my body can't handle anymore. So, But I recommend all you folks come to Atlanta, drive the 27 hours, make it happen. And this is DragonCon number what for you? I think eight. Okay. Eighth DragonCon. Uh, there's, there's so many people here, it's hard to move around. It's being a little crazy. But the experience itself, absolutely amazing. Oh, good. I'm glad it's it's worth it for you driving this You know what? It's totally worth it because I got to see the celebrities. Uh, There's another panel that I saw today that I can't remember, but I know I took pictures of it. (laughs) It's it's all a blur. Whatever it was. Whatever it was was good. And you've gone to bed at what time every night? Uh, 11.30. That's not too bad. All right. Yeah, we're we're being a bunch of losers and going to bed early. Everybody's... Staying up and party until what, two or three in the morning? Five in the morning. Five in the morning? Yep. <laughs> well, my regular bedtime is 10 o'clock, so I'm doing okay. Yeah, yeah. And sleeping on an air mattress, which is super uncomfortable. Yes, I'm doing the same thing, sleeping on an air mattress. That's part of the con game, guys. Uh, unless you get a lot of money and you book things ahead of time, you can get a nice bed. And I'm, I'm an old man. In, in three days, I'll be 43. So. Well, you look young. You're pulling it off. Sir. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. I'm no, I'm no uh, Carl Urban or, uh, or Anson Mount, but apparently uh, he's just aging gracefully. We have to do that too. That's it. That's it. But for next year, I'm already trying to hold you to this. That we'll save up money yeah. and go do this again next year. Next year, you think so? But make you fly next time. That would be a better idea. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can't think of it like the week before and then say, "Hey, I'm going to go." You know. Exactly. Better plan it for a year next time. Mm-hmm. That's probably a wise. Idea. And I will fly up to Timmins. And go to the Northern Ontario Timmins Comic Con. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> to say that three times. Yes. Yeah. So that's every April usually. So if I go to Timmins, what else am I going to experience? What should I do when I'm at Timmins? Oh, Timmins is a land that culture forgot. Mm-hmm. So you won't experience anything. <laughs> I heard there's a great comic shop there, though. There is. It's oh, called, it called? It's called. Oh, what is it? It's Jump City. Oh. Jumps? I've heard of that. It's at uh, 38 Pine Street North. It's in a mall, I believe. It's in the 101 mall. Well, look at that. In the lower level. I was halfway there. You were. <laughs> you're halfway there now because you came up from Florida to Georgia. so you're. I might as well keep driving. You might as well. And go to that comic shop and buy something. Why don't you just hop in my car and come back with me? All right. You can me. What car are you driving? A Mazda 3. 
Is that a, isn't that a sports car? No. Oh, <laughs> I thought a Mazda 3 was a sports car. My car is not a sports car. It's a 2012 Mazda 3. All right. Um, it's black, has four doors, four cylinders. It's got no no get up and go. But it gets the job done. It got me here. Yeah, it's not breaking down. No, and it's full of geek stickers. Nice. I was going to drive it in the parade, but I didn't. Oh, that would be great. Mm-hmm. It's too early in the parade. Just sleep through it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So many people. Oh, and the parade, they put on the CW, the channel. It's actually locally played here on, throughout all of Atlanta, so people can watch the Dragon Con parade. It's amazing. But I drove it for a minivan. It was great. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Very comfortable. Very roomy. Yep. The Arrowverse. That was the other panel. That's, you were supposed to see all the people from the Arrowverse? Yes. Oh, I'm jealous. Uh, I wanted to see that. The guy who played Quentin Lance. Yep. Uh, the guy British who played, guy. Yeah. Paul Blackthorne. Yep. Uh, Roy Harper, uh, actor Colton Haynes. He's like he's a short guy. Uh, seemed like anyways. I couldn't tell they were sitting yeah. down. Uh, Nick Zano, who plays Steel on Legends. The guy turns in the metal, yeah. yeah. And then two ladies from there as well. Uh, Zazu, or their, their... One of the newer characters, probably. Uh, what was her name? Uh, Tella Ash, I yeah, think. Yeah, she has the, one of the wind power or whatever. I don't know, and just somebody. <laughs> there, there, was, there was two ladies. How very sexist of you to forget the female characters. <laughs> I'm forgetting too, though. I can't yeah. remember. It's, it's hard to keep everything in your head. It's, it's true. It's overwhelming. Not enough sleep. Too many people. Not really, you're sleep. just watching that one show with Anson Mount. That's yes. all you're watching right now. Pretty much. I haven't watched the Arrowverse in the last year and a half. So. And all Josh watches is uh, Flash. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout out to Josh. You're not here. You're missing out. Big time. <laughs> and uh, we just came from seeing the boys panel. Mm-hmm. And you've seen all the show? I have. Okay, I've seen three episodes. There's only eight. Eight, so yeah. Five more left. Mm-hmm. And they're very much worth it. Very gory. Some nudity. A lot of uh, touchy subjects. A lot of swearing. A lot of swearing. But it's like the gritty world of superheroes if they really existed in our world. And it's definitely worth watching. Very dense. Yes, like lots of jam-packed. But good comedy in it too, to like release. Totally. Things. And yeah. Elizabeth Shue is in it, who I haven't seen in a long time. Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> that was maybe her first movie or whatever, like a TV show was a TV it show. Was a, that was a, a movie from I believe 1987. Oh wow. Yeah, where she had to babysit these kids and they went on adventures and there was a character named <laughs> Thor in the film and nice. he's like a mechanic or something. I don't know. But so, she was great back in the day and she's still gorgeous woman. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Worth watching. Totally. So this is going to become a yearly thing, hopefully. Hopefully. You'll hear from me and Sean once a year for the annual Dragon Con report. There you go. We'll sit in the hallway. Yes. And we'll be drinking and talking about Dragon Con. That's right. Well, it's a lot of fun, Sean. A lot of fun, Jeremy. Hopefully we'll do it again. I think we will. Thanks so much. Thank you. So yeah, it was great well, catching thanks. up with uh, with Sean. And me. Yeah, thanks, Sean, for being a friend of the podcast. Yeah, thanks for bringing a mic because uh, I didn't have a mic with me at Dragon Con, so we used his <laughs> mic that he uses for podcasting, so it worked out pretty well. Very nice. And I got home from the Dragon Con, and uh, there was no damage at all in Orlando, Good. and my cats were okay, and uh, I'm back. So that's that was my three weeks of craziness. So you braved the storm. I sure did. I fly, flew back on a scary Spirit Airlines flight and didn't get killed, so... I mean, that's, that's the real bravery. It really is. <laughs> so what uh, are you up to for three whole weeks? Three whole weeks. Uh, the biggest thing that really took up the middle of it um, was uh, we had the kid's birthday. Yay. Joyce, my daughter, turned three years old. Hmm. Uh, and we went up the, the this past weekend and went up to Anna's mom's place about an hour north. And we invited family and we did a family birthday party for the aunts and uncles and all the, the cousins. Uh, 
and that was fun. And Joyce got a lot of really good stuff. Um, but the day before that, Anna and I got the rare opportunity as parents to go out on a date. Oh, uh, I had a gift certificate to Outback Steakhouse for my birthday. Nice. So we went and had a lavish Outback Steakhouse lunch <laughs> with a blooming onion. Oh my God, the blooming onion. Yeah. How can you not? <laughs> um, All 2,000 calories of it. I mean, man, make it three. Why not? Just throw it in there. Just get the extra dipping sauce. I'll do lines of it. <laughs> uh, so we had a really good lunch. And then uh, to massage ourselves a little bit, we, uh, we, we took the 40-minute walk from there to uh, a big shopping center that houses a brand new Dave & Buster's. Oh, very nice. And so we got to go to Dave and Buster's and uh, play games. And we've been really enjoying uh, this is I may have talked about him before. This kid called Arcade Matt on YouTube, mm-hmm. Matt three, seven, five, six. Uh, and he and he's, he goes to arcades and plays games and he shares tips and tricks and how he spots machines and the, mach- the, sh- the games that are actually skill based. And you can time versus the ones that are just luck and uh, using his tricks in just over an hour. We've made 8000 tickets. Whoa. Which we then went to the Dave and Buster store and bought bonus birthday gifts for the kid. Oh, that's nice of you. Nothing so she ended up with, with five additional gifts. <laughs> that's amazing. So things are actually not uh, just like Chinese finger traps. No, we got her uh, two Funko Pops. Nice. Uh, the little pop guys she love. A giant kazoo. <laughs> we got a ball. We got a unicorn mug. Because mm. she is so into unicorns right now. Very nice. And then one other thing I'm not remembering. That's a lot, though. Yeah, we got five or six things. We had 8,000 tickets, so. <laughs> I never know if that's a lot or not in arcades, because they're like, that'll be 40,000 tickets for a Chinese finger trap, please. Well, they had, let me put it this way. They had real appliances. They had like a, a nice blender for 20,000 tickets. Oh. So we're halfway there almost. That's right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we had to have a nice date day. We got to celebrate the kid's birthday. And then Tuesday, the day of her actual birthday yesterday, the day before we're recording, I, uh, we had Apple. We had our big announcement event in the morning. So I went in for that to make sure nothing exploded. And then I took a half day and came home and we pick, picked up Anna and Joyce and we took her to her first movie on the big screen. Oh, I didn't realize it would be our first. What was it? I found one of the only theaters still playing Toy Story 4. Nice. Within 20 miles of us. Uh, and so we drove down and, and took her to see Toy Story 4. Did she like it? Oh, yeah. She was smitten. Uh, today, earlier, she asked if we could watch it. Oh. Has she we seen the other three? Like, it's, oh, my gosh. Has she seen the other three? Oh, okay. Gotcha. That's why we knew it was a safe bet. Right. You weren't going to waste uh, your money but on yeah, A good birthday, and she's a little three-year-old nightmare now. Oh, I had to mention, since you said birthdays, today I was recording on September 11th. It's your mom's birthday. My mom's birthday. And so, mom, if you're listening to this later on down the line, happy birthday. And we're celebrating by doing something that we both enjoy, which we're watching the uh, Democratic debates tomorrow night, Thursday, um, at our (laughs) our place, having some dinner and just relaxing and probably yelling at the screen and enjoying enjoying the discussions afterwards. So, Well, happy birthday, Karen. Happy birthday. Well, I guess that takes us into some nerd news. Does it? Oh, my God. It's time for Nerdy News. All right. All so right. I got something oh, very fun uh, and interesting. So there was a study 
run at the University of California, Los Angeles, where they've discovered a pharmaceutical cocktail of sorts that can be that might reverse the aging process in humans. And it's pretty exciting. So nine volunteers were given a mixture of a certain growth hormone and and diabetes medication. Um, They only need the growth hormone, but they have to give them the diabetes medication because the growth hormone can cause diabetes. Um, so with the, wow. mix, with okay. the, yeah, with the mixture of that medication, they don't get those diabetic, uh, pre-diabetic symptoms. And, uh, so they, over a year, these volunteers took this cocktail and they came back and all nine volunteers came back two and a half years younger than when they started the campaign or when they started the volunteer thing, uh, with no apparent okay. negative side effects. Uh, and they judged the aging of two and a half years by doing several epigenic, epigenetic, epigenetic, um, tests like um, certain telomeres and things like that and mainly it's by uh the thymus gland is what they're targeting which is uh which gathers fatty tissue as you age and it kind of ages your whole body hormonally um but this cocktail somehow removed the fatty tissue and replaced it with new tissue new healthy tissue um so basically kind of they expected it to stop aging a little bit or like kind of slow it down but instead they were actually younger than when they first started the trial (laughs) So it's pretty nuts. And they're like, well, everybody hold your horses, though. This is only nine people. We need to, like, actually do more tests and more and more subjects and see where it goes. But even after a year later, after the test was done and they had stopped taking the cocktail, they were still slowly de-aging. So that was pretty cool. (laughs) Okay, that's a little bit nuts. It is a little nuts, but I figured we'd get there eventually. It's figuring out some kind of thing to make rich people not age. But. You just inject a million dollars directly into your veins. <laughs> Literal dollars. Yep. Just grind just them rolled up, up that, real tight. That blender you got and just put it right there. Uh, so that was it. So my, my story has a cheeky title and that's if you keep doing that, you're going to go blind. Oh, uh, so a study has been done on honeybees and honeybee queens. When a hive gets to a certain size and a queen is born, she takes half the hive and she goes and finds a new home for it. And then once she sets up the new hive, she has a very short amount of time where she is still small enough and mobile enough that she can go out and find mates. Mm-hmm. So the queen sets out on her own and goes out to find mates. Um, so queens only do this at the beginning of their life. And then the DNA they collect is go- has to last them their entire run. Hmm. They don't mate after this period. And so what they have found is that male bees, uh, their seminal fluid messes up the queen's receptors in her brain for vision and makes her basically blind Hmm. or severely interferes with her vision with the idea being that they don't want her mating with one more than one male. Oh, so they mate with her. She goes back to the hive, goes blind, and then she can't go out anymore. But what if they mate unsuccessfully? Um, so there are times that uh, that if a queen bee gets uh, gets knocked up on the first try, effectively, she will take additional trips out. But in this study, they found that queens that went back out for additional trips had a higher percentage of not coming back or getting lost. Oh, because they're more blind at that point, right? Um, so yeah, male bees really ensure they'll go blind <laughs> that they're the last one you're gonna that the queens are gonna have. Oh, God. 
Well, animals, animal kingdom sex is very weird on occasion. That's right. Well, I remember I also reported on bees where there's a certain type of bee that when they uh, climax, it's so hard their junk blows off. Oh, God. So just remember that bees have a lot of crazy stuff going on. All right. From my um, romance novels, a lot of them involve like alpha werewolves and beta werewolves and stuff. And nodding and stuff. Yeah, the nodding. You've you've mentioned this. But like apparently real wolves, they like not inside of the female wolf until they're done. And then they unknot so they can come out. So they basically and they, then their junk explodes. <laughs> their junk explodes <laughs> and they go blind. Uh, so we got a pretty uh, so good yeah, humans. So that's, if you keep doing that, you're going to go blind. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have something in the D&D world. Let the Dungeons and the Dragons begin. It's D&D. Fight with the legends of yore. It's D&D. All right, what you got for oh. us this week, Steve? Okay, so this is not quite Dopey Dungeons and Dragons because I was not aiming to create a specific character, um, but I kind of accidentally discovered like the most powerful build in D and D. Uh huh. On like a complete whim, discovered this. So just imagine this: imagine that you are the ultimate face. Face character, meaning the talking character of the group. Who? Yep, the one that's expected to be persuasive or deceptive, highly charismatic. So you're the face. Uh, you are the main healer. Uh-huh. You are the skill monkey, and you're the knowledge guy. And you have 18 AC. Uh huh. Imagine all of these things. That is the character that I designed. So it's broken, basically. I don't know if it's broken. I stumbled upon it by complete accident, by complete accident. So you take one level in cleric, you take the knowledge domain, which gets you double proficiency in two knowledge, knowledge things. So you have double proficiency. I took arcana in history, but you could take any mix, uh, which means you're going to get to roll double your proficiency bonus the entire time. Anytime you do it, you get to roll double your proficiency bonus. Nice. Uh, so then uh, you, Basically, the way I did it is I made a cleric with only plus two wisdom, their main stat, and then put plus three in charisma. And then for second level, I went bard. And then you just go bard from there on out. Gotcha. So uh, with the bard, you boost charisma so you can be the main healer because bard also has really heavy healing. Your cleric stuff all becomes utility and fun stuff. You get heavy armor proficiency from being a cleric, which is awesome. So you become the main healer. Then you can take expertise in two of the face skills. Persuasion and deception are probably the two most likely. So then you're a super face mm-hmm. on top of that because you're getting double expertise in that, uh, double proficiency bonus in that. Uh, and then on top of that, you have 18 AC. Hmm. With like, the, with like the, base, the base level heavy armor. Right, like starting plate kind of thing. Or I guess media, medium armor in this build specifically. Gotcha. Um, and you're like a beast. Uh, at level five, you're rolling at plus 10 in persuasion and deception and plus eight in arcana and history or whichever two intelligence ones you chose. Uh, and then additionally, you've got skill monkey stuff out the butt. You're rolling. You're not rolling at anything less than, a, than like a three. That's pretty for amazing. every skill. So pretty much the only thing um, you're not doing is pumping out a lot of damage. That's the thing. You're not going to pump out a lot of damage. And that is the real weakness of the build. 
Um, but you have so much utility. If you can't find something to do, you're doing something wrong. And plus, you'll never be in a group where there's not somebody who picked a high damage character because everyone picks that first. Yes, that is <laughs> that is true. So yeah, you get to be the main healer. You get some crazy good defense, crazy good socials, knowledge stuff, and you get to do all these things. You need some great name for this character now, the kind of character that it is. <laughs> I don't know. The chosen one? That seems right. You are the chosen one. <laughs> uh, so then... Uh, the, one of the guys I'm playing with, I told him about this. He's like, well, that, that character can do too many things. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, let me dial back one of those. Cause he's right. I don't want to take three roles out of the group. <laughs> like that's not fair. If I'm all those guys, you're just helping. Uh, all and them so, with it. so I, so I, I started moving a few things around and then accidentally stumbled across another insane build. <laughs> so, um, start level one cleric. Uh, you take the nature domain. Mm-hmm. You get speak with animals and animal friendship, uh, and then you get to choose between survival and animal handling and a couple other basically druidy kind of things. Right. But the important piece here is you get one druid cantrip of your choice, and you choose shillelagh. Shillelagh. So what shillelagh does is you can touch a quarter staff or or a club, and it turns it into a magical one d eight that you get to add your wisdom modifier to. Uh huh. So you take one level in cleric, which is already wisdom high. Then, and here's where shit gets insane. You switch to you switch to uh, um, you switch to fighter. Mm. You take the rest in fighter, eldritch knight, but you're but you always use the shillelagh or the club. So right off the bat, you're rolling one d eight plus three. Uh, and then you go eldritch knight, so you get even more spell casting and more utility and more defense stuff. So you turn into a wisdom-based Eldritch Knight with like an, an AC of 19 or 20, something like that. <laughs> That's <the> crazy. <laughs> yeah, for right, you guys know because, this is nuts. Okay, so here's the best part. Because you are stacking wisdom, all of the cleric spells that would normally be throwaways when you take a one-level dip stay entirely relevant. Because, because normally if you're taking a one-level dip, you're only going to put plus two in there to get the dip. And then those aren't going to stack. You're going to stop casting those. But by stacking Wiz, they stay like you can still use Sacred Flame. Hmm. Uh, and because of that, all your heals from Cleric also stay relevant. So you're doing and then as you gain levels in Eldritch Knight. Heals. Yeah. So you're not going to really be the main heal, but you're the way I think of it is Nature's Warrior is the way I, I put it together in my head. That makes sense. And it's sort of like a better version of what I think the ranger could be. Yeah, because ranger's been really unpopular in this edition of D&D. There's a reason. Yeah, <laughs> there, there really is a reason. Um, so, yeah. So by me just doing a couple tweaks, I, I found two just incredibly powerful builds. Are those going to be your next characters? I don't know because my DM hates this shit. <laughs> you getting all crunchy <laughs> on everything? <laughs> he really hates that I get crunchy. But it's really where I dig my teeth and it's where I find a lot of my enjoyment so he can eat it because um, that's how I enjoy the game. But then you also get into character and everything when you play. So not so bad. I really do. Um, but yeah, he hates when I ask him technical questions and crunchy questions, that kind of stuff. He really hates it. <laughs> yeah. You, I don't know how much more. You, I'm surprised you like Dungeon World because that's not very crunchy at all. It's just both sides of a coin. I that's think true. that's the thing. Um, and, you know, like the creation is crunchy, but then once you're in the game, you're in the game. Yeah, it's a different story at that point. Creation's its own. Yeah, animal. that point. The, yeah, that's the thing. At that point, you're that character, and then it's what can you do within that character? Right. 
Well, I, I enjoyed those very much. I might steal yeah. some of that for my own. Uh, yeah, wisdom based fighter. <laughs> and it's nature's warrior. Nature's warrior. It's so spectacular. Speaking of nature, I've got a warriors. couple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Good segue. What are you going to say? I have a couple of what? I uh, know. Good segue into Dark Crystal Age Yes. <laughs> nature's warriors. It's a little bit of the wonderful music from the show. Such good music. All right. So Dark Crystal Age of Resistance is maybe, I can say, the thing in my adult life I have, like, had nerded out about the most. Indeed. Like, I don't think I have ever anticipated the release of a TV show as much as as Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Fair enough. Not even the new Muppet show. No, I stayed up until midnight just so I could watch one episode. That's impressive from for you like these midnight days. to one Oh five to then get up the next morning at six 30 to go to work. Oh goodness. Like that's, that is how excited I was for dark crystal resistance. And I'm so happy to say that overall, I, even as a super fan, a super picky super fan was blown away. That's impressive. Was blown away. And this has been 10, 15 years in the making in some form or another, wanting to make a movie. Then they wanted to figure out how to make a cartoon show. Then uh, it finally came around to this opportunity at Netflix, like 10 years. Do down a live the line. action. And, and then they said, well, we're going to need all this money. And Netflix said, fine, there you go. Here's the money. Take it. <laughs> um, and then to boot the, the creative talent behind this is like a really mixed bag that shows that, that you aren't always going to get what you expect out of the creative talent you put in. Yeah. The, their powers uh, the combined di- basically. Uh, the, the director uh, was this French guy. Let me see. I had this up. Who directed right the incredible Hulk, the MCU Hulk, the movie. incredible Hulk and like a transporter film. Yeah. It's a very uh, weird choice. It, yes, an extremely weird choice. He, there's nothing in his background that you would think would say, oh, yeah, he's going to do an epic fantasy with puppets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you look at the two, uh, the co-executive producers and writers, uh, Jeffrey Addis and uh, Will Matthews, who are the developers, co-producers and writers uh, who have done almost nothing you've heard of before this. Weird. Like one of them wrote has a couple unacted, a bunch of them have like very minor acting roles. Uh, and then he was a producer on two shorts and then the dark crystal. And the other guy had like written for two shorts and then the dark crystal. <laughs> How did they get that connect? They must have a good I agent. have no idea. <laughs> well, you, you watched <laughs> even the, uh, sound a surprise. did you watch the behind the scenes documentary? I did. And like how they kind of walked in and pitched them. And they were just like, okay, you're good. You're on. <laughs> I guess they had passion right. for Like it. they didn't realize that they were going to be pitching dark crystal to Lisa Henson at lunch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, this <laughs> like is they serious. didn't understand what they were there for. Um, but yeah, like they took this crazy creative talent, this director who runs his own camera during filming, which is like super not, not acceptable. It's kind of hard to do. You have to get professional the, world. Yeah. Both unions have to agree to allow that to happen. Cause it's yeah. Right. right. Cause otherwise the director can't touch the can't literally can't physically handle the camera. Exactly. That's a lot of work um, too. And apparently he did a lot of the editing himself as well, which is like, what the hell? Yeah. But I mean, I thought it was great and it just shows you that you can be surprised. 
Yeah, because you were hoping for the really best, surprised. but not expecting the best, I imagine. No, no, no. When I saw this lineup, like, yeah, the cast was really good, but the creative talent, besides the Frouds, who I trust, um, like, I just didn't get it. And for those who don't know the Frouds, they've worked on Henson stuff and creature creation for, you know, 40 years now or something. Uh, Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Uh, he did all the creature and concept design for both. His son, who is now in the family business, was the baby in Labyrinth. The babe with the power. What power? Power of Voodoo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they were involved, and you can see the frouds all over this, all over this production. It, it's just so good. So, so good. I was blown away. Yeah, and I mean... I guess we should talk a little bit of if you don't if you haven't seen the movie Dark Crystal from 1982, you probably should. Uh, we actually reviewed it, I think, on the podcast just by itself because we're doing all we of our did, favorite we movies. Did, it was one of your favorites. Uh, yeah, I it was Dark uh, Crystal and Zero Charisma was the pair movie. That's right. Two of our favorites. That's right. Uh, and this is set a couple hundred years prior to the events of the Dark Crystal and shows you the events leading up to it, the fall of the Gelfling. Um, the rise of the Skeksis, the corruption of Thra, um, what the hell happened to Agra. And uh, just, you told me an amazing story, cool. I think, about how this came about. Was Jim Henson and his daughter in the airport or something? Yeah, they got like stuck on a flight or stuck in an airport. And so they just started coming up with like, uh, you know, what would what would a land of good and evil and they started sketching out these ideas and, and, and characters and forces. And a lot of the names are still similar. Uh, the, the world they created was called Mithra. Ah. And then it turns out that was a land in another book or something. So it just became Thra. Nice. But even some of the essence of that original, like those original sketches is still in the world. Which is crazy. They're sitting around in an airport getting bored and thought of this whole world or started. The mind of Jim Henson. And his daughter. Uh so you as a casual observer, what did you like about it? Um, well, I really just right off the bat with the preview, when we reviewed the preview. I was just like, wow, the scope of this is ridiculous. And like, how have we not heard more about this production? Because it had been a couple of years in production. Um, of course. Yeah. Kind of keeping it under wraps a little bit. Um, and then when that trailer released, it was just like, this is incredible. The scale of this um, and just how beautiful it was. Um, and it was the story of the whole thing is kind of complicated. So you have to really pay attention, especially in the beginning scene when Sigourney Weaver's voice is explaining everything. Um, yeah. Kind of given a history because it is complicated. Um, these beings come to Thra and then they work with Agra to give her a, a thing where she can look out into the universe. And, and she entrusts them with a crystal of truth. Right. And they corrupt which, it somehow, which then splits them into two. So they become the mystics and the Skeksis. Um, and they're still connected to each other. So if a mystic gets hurt, that same Skeksis will get hurt. Um, it's complicated, but um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, but just the um, character designs are amazing and they took everything from the movie and just didn't change it too much, but it's improved upon it, made it look a little prettier and more well put together. And, um, and they introduced new characters, which I thought was great. Yeah. It made the, uh, and they left room characters. for more characters, yep. which is awesome. Cause I saw in the original movie, because uh, I rewatched the movie after I finished the series, mm -hmm. that there are more Skeksis around. And they had a throwaway line in the series where, like, some of the Skeksis are out doing stuff elsewhere. <laughs> so, like, yeah. So originally there were eighteen Urskeks that landed, which mm -hmm. are like the original things that split. Two. So after the split, 
two Uru and two Urskex died sort of in the initial struggle. So down uh, to 16. So down, down to 16. And then I think they made reference to at least someone else dying at some point. Um, so we might be down to 15. But yeah, we see nine. There is at least one that's in the next movie that's in the movie that isn't in this one. Right. And then they make reference to at least two or three others. Or just around somewhere else. Right. right. Well, one of them is like the seafarer. So in theory, he's out on a ship somewhere. Uh, one of them is the Goth- Gartham master from the next movie. Uh, one of them is the slave master from the movie. And in theory, they didn't have any slaves at the time. So they didn't need a slave master. So he wasn't there. The Gartham didn't exist. So the Gartham master wasn't there. Gotcha. What's the Gartham? You know, like those sort of things. Oh, those big um, creatures. Yeah. Right at the end. Right, right, right. Um, oh yeah. By yeah, the way, I, folks, I, there will be mm-hmm. spoilers. Yeah. Spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> Thank you. Spoilers. Gotta play the whole thing. Would be inappropriate otherwise. <laughs> All right, so we haven't, we haven't given away any major spoilers yet, but now we will. Um, yeah. At some point. Uh, so there are three major plot lines that drive this story. The first is one of Rian, who is a young guard at the Skeksi Palace, the Palace of the Crystal, uh, where he is a faithful servant of the Skeksis, and they are revered. And his father is the head of the guard. And the Skeksis are getting ready to go out for a day of penance where basically all the Gelflings give them things right? for being the Lords of the Crystal. Voluntarily. Um, so a creature escapes the scientist's lab. Rian goes to hunt it down while his father is away with the Skeksis. Uh, and that is when his girlfriend, Vera, uh, gets caught in a sort of forbidden zone. Right. She gets, uh, was she in the crystal room? I think. No, she was in like the catacombs. Oh, okay. she was down below. Um, so she gets caught. And then in, uh, meanwhile, the Skeksis have been draining life out of the crystal, which is what has corrupted it and turned it dark. And it is giving them less and less energy because it has less and less energy to give. Right. Um, so the emperor Skexo, uh, commissions the scientist to come up with a solution and the scientist figures that with the crystal he can use the crystal to drain essence out of out of creatures and then capture it for them to keep them alive played by mark hamill fantastically great there were there were one or two times where it really went jokery yeah i'm not gonna lie just a couple a few times it went really jokery (laughs) but most of the time it was fine (laughs) i will train you (laughs) yes that was those moments um so the Skeksis have come into the, 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 his lab. He invites in Vera the Gelfling, who he uses the crystal and drains her vital essence. And she just vaporizes. And she vaporizes. And the Skeksis drink it, and they're filled with power and vigor and strength. And that's when they realize that to live forever, they have to keep drinking essence. And Rianne sees Rianne all this. witnesses his girlfriend die. Uh, they see him. And so now they start spreading rumors that he is the one that killed her. And he's like a Gelfling against the Skeksis. And now all the other Gelfling are looking for him. He's on the run. So that's like, that's like plot one. And then plot two, we go into the caves and meet that's lovely right. Deet. I loved Deet. My favorite she was character. such a good character. Uh, Deet is a Groton. Grottons are the underground Gelfling and sort of seen as the lowest of them all. And like, treated sort like of like Deet secondhand knows. citizens. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, she uh, 
has started to see signs of what it, what she's later told by a tree, oddly enough, is called the darkening, a corruption of Throck coming up from the ground that the great trees have tried to keep in check, but now they can't anymore. Right. That's, they don't know why it's and happening the, yet. The tree tasks her with going out into the world and discovering what happened uh, to, to take this message to the All-Madra, mm-hmm. who is the queen of queens. Of all the geth, uh, to warn warn them about the darkening that is coming. So that's that's plot two. It's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. So then we go to the All Madra, and I can't remember the name of the city up in the mountains. Oh, I can't remember either. You but the highest sure. clan of the seven clans, the highest one, uh, the All Madra and her daughters, and she has a daughter who's a bookworm. Uh, and, and she is the one that, yeah, Rhea, and she is sort of the third path of this story. And her evil stepsister, uh, or evil sister, Cellophane, I think. Uh, yes, Cellophane. That sounds right. I think it was Cellophane, and then Ta- Tavra was her the middle sister, who's like Tavra really wise and, and sweet. And damn it, Annika. No, that's not Celadon. Celadon. That's Cellophane. <laughs> um, so they're preparing for the Skeksis to arrive to to accept their gifts, and uh, for the first time, she gets to witness the Skeksis come. She ends up riding with them in their carriage and be kind of befriending the scroll keeper in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also gets to witness the greed of the Skeksis firsthand and kind of comes a realization of sort of the, the messed up role that her mom plays in this. Yeah. Cause in the tithing, the, the Skeksis demand something from each person and the farmers don't have any food to give. So they demand this necklace around the daughter's neck and it's the only memory of their mother. They have her memories are actually in the necklace magically and they still take it. And then her mom gets the necklace later on. So she's all right. And that's the, that. that's the nail in the coffin that, that she realizes her mom is part of this oppressive thing. Right. So that kind of helps her go in motion. So when she finds Rianne later, she's more likely to believe him and, you know, join his side. Um, so that's, that's really like the first episode is you get this taste of the three different stories that are going to be happening. Right. And I didn't, I didn't think about it that way. How there really is those three stories that kind of combine and become one. Oh, absolutely. Um, all right. So the second one, the second episode starts with Augra in her observatory and she wakes up after someone did interpret it. How many years it was a couple hundred shrine, trying, trying for years. Um, <laughs> where she's been out proje- astrally projecting herself into the universe to discover mysteries uh, while Thra falls apart around her. And it's the call of Thra that brings her back. And she crashed. Uh, so she- I love Augur. And she's Just so much great. better I thought in the this show. Was a great portrayal of her. Yeah. Just so much better in the show than in the movie. She's like an improvement for sure. Um, Deet, meanwhile, tries to make her way uh, to the, the capital city. Uh, she has to wear a blindfold because she's not used to the sun. The, the sun. Uh, and, oh gosh. Oh, and then she gets attacked by a big spider thing. And then Hup, who is the fan favorite character Hup, standalone, Hup. <laughs> uh, a podling who's basically a little potato person who wants to become a paladin, like a palace guard, with his spoon. Uh, comes to her rescue with his spoon. And Hup is just delightful. He just is. delightful for the entire show. And I was one, so afraid they were going to kill him off. Well, one of he the few so main, main characters so that is uh, voiced and performed by the same person. So it's not a celebrity person, but a puppeteer who's voiced. Oh, yeah, he's a puppeteer. Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, uh, Brea, the princess, is trying to find uh, to sort of learn 
what this symbol means. So she goes to the Gelflings that are sort of the keepers of the symbol is the way that it's described. Uh, there we get an Eddie Izzard character who's kind of forgettable. That was one of my more sort of regrettable parts of the I show. I like that character. It's just that he didn't go anywhere. I did too. I just didn't. He didn't have any motivation. It didn't go anywhere. It didn't pay off. So it was like, why, why did we do that? Yeah, they could have fleshed him out a little bit more. But that accent was great. And it was um, just fun to listen to. And then one of his assistants says, go and steal the, the finest jewel out of your mother's room and bring it to me. And I will tell you the secret that you seek. So she sets off to steal this jewel. Uh, meanwhile, Rien is like hiding in the castle, trying to escape. Uh, he convinces one of his buddies and dream fast with him, which is this ability the Gelflings had where they can share their memories. Um, it's a little awkwardly show- sexual at times, but uh, it is. Yeah. It, there are insinuations. Absolutely. They put their hands close together um, and they go. Ah. <laughs> right. Um, so. He, he gets this vision and he sees that Rian didn't kill his girlfriend and the Skeksis did it. And so they have to steal her essence to prove to the other Gelflings that the Skeksis are doing this terrible thing. Uh, they break into the scientist's lab. Chamberlain is also there causing havoc and trouble. Mm. And, um, and they're able to steal the essence. Unfortunately, Rian's friend gets captured, but Rian makes it out. So now Rian is on an adventure to seek the Almadra to show her this essence. And convince them that, that the Skeksis are doing this terrible thing. And the Gelfling need to rise up in a resistance, if you will. <laughs> in the age of it, even. <laughs> so then the scientist gets blamed for the essence being gone. And they do the peeper beetle, which is one of the darker moments in the entire show. So there are a lot, lot of dark, dark moments in this show. Basically, the punishment is that he has a cage put over his head and they release a a beetle that only eats eyeballs uh-huh. into this cage and it eats the scientist's eye and, that, I, and that pays, pays off. off why he has that thing in the in the movie. Yeah. I was noticing that when I saw the movie, like, Oh, he has a thing that makes total sense. Um, so then we're on to episode three, uh, Deaton Hup, uh, are find themselves in like an unwelcome village in the Stonewood clan because she's a second hand citizen. He's a podling. Uh, they get into a fight. Hup, like kicks some ass yeah, for does. a little for a little potato person, but then inevitably gets arrested <laughs> and Deet vows to get him out. Potato person. That is where Deet and Rien's path cross for the first time because he is going to tell the Madra of the Stonewood clan what he has seen. Mm-hmm. So he goes, he tells her the story, and then she reveals that his father is there to take him back. Because he thinks he's so crazy. that the Skeksis can heal him of his mind illness. <laughs> Played by Mark Strong, his father. Uh, they try to capture Rian. Rian escapes, and after he escapes, that is where he runs into Deet in the forest, Deet. where they had their first real meeting. Uh, Deet then gets inspiration from him and is going to go free Hup, who has been locked away, and she vowed she'd get out. She becomes a monster by being hidden in the shadows, eating some of her crazy space dust stuff from her caverns, and make, turning her eyes purple, and then just flying around, scaring all the guards. It works. Meanwhile, the, the, the princess, uh, her mom has found out that she went and saw this elder on this of this other group and then essentially poisoned him and wiped his memory. So she is being sent for a year in the order of lesser service, which are like Gelflings punished by doing the worst jobs is the idea. Like cleaning the potato people. <laughs> right, right. And then they reveal there is a holiday one, one time a trine where they have to clean the potato people. And that's what she's there for. <laughs> And I thought this scene was delightful. It was a little overdrawn. Yes. I'm willing to admit that it went on too long. 
but it was really very delightful. And that was my one complaint. I'll, we'll just kind of take a break for a second. Is that they indulged is a few times. A few scenes went too long because I think the, the crew and cast was having way too much fun. Um, like the the eating scene with the Skeksis was too long and was just overly gross, but just like went on a long time. And then this podling scene. So I was like, yeah, it's just a little bit of them having a little too much fun at the expense of things just getting maybe a little boring at times. But still, you're looking yeah. at the whole world. and It's so beautiful. Like, you're like, OK, and I that's the thing. It was that enough upset. to take in that it was almost forgivable. Yeah, almost. Yeah, nearly. <laughs> um, and, and really, a lot of it was to show, like, the the beauty and grace of the Gelfling, the cruelty of the Skeksis. I think of the, the the eating scene you just mentioned where you get to, like, watch a turtle that's been, like, baked into a pie get stabbed in the head. Ugh, yeah. Right. Like that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Dark stuff. So. She escapes the order of the, the lesser lesser service and goes and hides in the woods only to be found by her sister who has been sent to her to find Rian, mm-hmm. the murderer. Um, she goes back with uh, Harar to, to Harar, Harar and that's when she goes into her mother's room and steals the brightest gem, which turns out to be a chrysalis, a cocoon on her ceiling. Uh, she then takes it back to Annika, who's the, the, the advisor who told her to take it. And that's when she reveals that the moth inside of it will, will take her to the secrets that she desires. I think I looked away for part of that scene. So I was really confused when she then like, yeah, so she releases this moth and says like, where can I find the answers? And the moth flies off. She follows it and it leads her back to the throne room where it lands on the throne and reveals a secret door down into an ancient cave that's been under their feet the whole time. And there's all the symbols of the different tribes of the Gelfling in there. And it says in the message to like put them in order of importance or something like that. Yeah. The secret will be revealed when order is restored. And so she starts trying to put them in order, but she can't figure out the pattern and nothing makes sense. And the reason that nothing makes sense is because the whole, basically the joke is that there is no order amongst the Gelflings. They're all They're equal. All equal. But the Skeksis effectively have tricked them into this class system that keeps them at each other's throats. So she puts the little emblem down that she found, and it suddenly turns into a big rock monster named Lore, who's there to help her and protect her. I loved Lore. I don't feel like he paid off quite the way he should have. Right. Um, I did like that he had the, the little f- record player f- on his arm. That was adorable. That was very clever. And the fact that he was a was an actual puppet was just in itself cool enough that I just kind of forgave most of the rest. The problem was the puppet was so good. I thought it was CG. And so then when we saw the behind the scenes thing, I was like, wait, that was a puppet. <laughs> this is insane. See, I, I thought part of it was CG. I think some of it must. Have I been. thought, I thought the body was real, but I thought the head, because it had that articulation and the movement. I thought that was CG on top. Um, Hard to tell. So she finds lore. This is the stone giant who is now like her protector and guide and going to give her guidance. Uh, meanwhile, deep freeze hup. Uh, and they, they continue on their journey to Harar. Harar. So the Skeksis are having a banquet. This is that big eating scene that you mentioned. Right. And that's when uh, the emperor kind of realizes that he's falling apart. Yeah, his finger starts to come like off. He's like oozing pus and literally pulls his finger off. And that's when sort of recognizing his own demise at hand is when he basically says we need to we need more more essence essence uh so that's when he says okay uh let's go take volunteers from the gelfling clans and we'll tell them it's for some fight we need to fight and really we'll just drain them and we'll only take what we need yeah starting off small 
Yeah, great. I mean, not great, but <laughs> better than what ended up happening. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember when they go to see the the flying people. That's later. Yeah, that's on. like that's like two or three episodes later. There's so much <laughs> in the middle; it's incredible. Uh, Agra is on this mission. She goes to the Crystal Palace and confronts the Skeksis about the terrible thing they did to the crystal. Um, she gets an idea of what is needed to save the crystal. She has to talk to Thra, but she's forgotten how to talk to Thra. She's been gone so long. And Thra is so the then she encounters one of the one of the mystics, uh, the archer, who gives her guidance, but really just gives her more mysteries to uncover. Where she realizes she has to sit and listen to Thra in order to to learn Thra's song again. Um, there's a lot of kind of existential kind of stuff. Yeah thrown in here uh a lot of recurring themes in the show of uh equality and how no one's better than anybody else that that, that's repeated throughout the whole show like not just with the gelfling but it's a big thing in the show right all the creatures are equal uh so kind of being cast down uh skexil who's chamber the chamberlain uh signals a horn to call the hunter and we get to see, in this case, a Skeksy that is like physically imposing in a way that no other Skeksy has been thus far. Because the rest of them are kind of like slow moving and kind of decrepit. Um, but he is monstrous. Yeah. And a whole different kind of uh, puppet as well. And Skeksil basically says, look, there's this terrible Gelfling who's troubling us. Go hunt him down. And the hunter goes. And now the hunter is after Rian. And he's intense. They go, they gather the the, the volunteers. The old Madra finally mind melds with her daughter to see the terrible things the Skeksis have done, are, are doing and then refuses to release the volunteers to the Skeksis and they kill her. That was really shocking. Like being her oldest daughter now as the old Madra. Helena Bottom Carter. The old Madra inherent. Mm-hmm. The, the, the bratty daughter. Yes. So then, oh my God. Uh, Hup and Deet go and infiltrate the castle with Deet dressed up like a, a fancy lady. <laughs> they get stopped. And then Deet goes into a dream fest that is simultaneously happening with like all the heroes of Thra. So this is where all the, the characters kind of align together at once. And they see Agra, who's also in the dream space and tells them that they are the heroes and that the Skeksis must be stopped. If balance is going to come back to Thra. Um, How did that start? How did she suddenly go into that state? I can't even remember. I don't there remember that either. <laughs> so much. I think Agra remembers how to talk to Thra and in uh, so doing is able to enter the dream space or something. Like and that. talk to the important people. Um, and then she sends Celadon back because Celadon is clearly still in with the Skaxies. Yes. And a little nuts. Yes. <laughs> so the Skaxies are headed back to their palace with the volunteers. They get caught up to the volunteers are freed. Um, and Rien tells the paladins, the other guards, that they have to go and start telling the, what the Skeksis have done. Uh, the crystal guard back at the palace has heard these rumors and they start a rebellion. But one loyal Gelfling rats them out and the Skeksis murder all of them. Yep. And even the one who ratted them out. Eventually the one that ratted them out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so. Back in Harar, Celadon has sent out the pieces of the crown, which summon the Madras in to basically crown her the All Madra. It's like this thing that's happened over and over again. All the other queens from the different tribes. But the Queen of the Stonewood believes that the Skeksis are up to this thing, 
uh, and basically refuses to grant her blessing and challenges Celadon for the crown. Uh, they have a fight. Celadon wins essentially and becomes the new all Madra kind of right. And makes her own. She like, denounces the claim, but she's still in charge. Like, it's that sort of thing. Um, so then meanwhile, uh, lore has told Rien and Deet and hop and whoever the hell else that are now all together that they need to go to the palace of the sun or something like that to go uh, out the in the crystal sea, uh, to, to reveal the secret of how the Skyseas can be, can be, um, defeated. So they go out, they meet this, this other clan of Gelfling who are dark skinned and sort of, uh, they're, they're classified as like mystics. Almost. They, I call them they, the they avatar. They people. worship death. They're kind of avatar. Yeah. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, and convince them to take them out to the, the shrine they need to get to. They get there. And then this is, was a great twist that even I, as a hardcore fan was not expecting. And that is they meet a Skeksy who is not a terrible person yeah. uh, living with his other mystic half. Just pretty cool. And that's when they reveal through a song and dance and musical kind of, and then puppetry, a puppet show within a puppet show, which I thought was yes. also excellent that the history of Thra is not quite what these, what they've been told. And I love that and it that, was uh, Bill Hader as the mystic and Adam Sandberg as the heretic, the Skeksy. And then yeah. for the puppet show, they got a famous like well, a YouTuber, this kid who has smaller hands, obviously, so he could get in the, the, the shot. He was a really good puppeteer and they just found him on YouTube and like hired him for it. I thought that was great. Um, and so they want to reunite the Skeksis and the Urus who used to be one being called the Urskek um, so that they can be made whole again. Um, then they are ambushed by Skekmal, the hunter, Yarr. who has come for Rian and come for his prize. Uh, Skekmal gets hit by two arrows. The archer is there to stop him, but in shooting Skekmal, the archer also hurts himself because they're and gra- they're both paired. gravely wounded. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skekmal does escape just barely. Oh man, what happened next? I was on such a good roll. I had such a <laughs> <laughs> good idea of what happened. Uh, Skekmal goes back. They really, the Skeksis have this like existential crisis of like, we can't die. If he dies, then we're all going to die. So they do everything in their power to make him not die. They drain all the essence from all these Gelflings. Uh, and then, and then Agra shows up and offers herself in exchange for one of the princesses to have her essence drained. Right. She's like the Gelfling essence is going to cut it. You gotta use mine. So she sacrifices herself. She disappears in like a puff of light. Uh, but the hunter and, and in turn, uh, the archer don't come back, at least not then. And they decide to take the hunter's body and just put it up in the, uh, the main hall as if in all his armor, just pretend he's still around because <laughs> they don't admit that he died. Uh, so now that the hunter's gone, uh, the emperor needs a new armor army. So he turns to this thing called the ascendancy, which is a sort essentially a bug hive. Uh, the of board. these huge arachnid kind of things that agree to help the Skeksis in exchange for their homeland back. And they do like the a caves that Deed is from. They do like a throwback kind of to Labyrinth because the spider creatures form into like hands that make mouths, mouths and, and faces. Talk. Very much yeah, like Labyrinth. Yeah, that was real good. So the Ascensi go, they attack the caves, they enslave all the Gelfling with these like face sucker things that mind control them. Yes. Uh, and then upon Deet, uh, so then Deet and Rien 
are told by the heretic that they have to retrieve this dual glaive, this double piece sword that has the power to unite the Gelfling clans and to stop the Skeksis. Which you may know if you play D&D or read fantasy books that a glaive is not not a sword, but they just kind of conflated those things in this movie. Yeah, they just threw it in there. Um, So one of the pieces is in the caves, and that's why they go there. And then that's when they discover that these face sucker things have taken over the Gelfling there. Um, And the other one, they don't know quite where, I think. Or it was entrusted to the Stonewoods. I can't quite remember. Well, they they don't know Um, that yet. Yeah. So they go, they rescue her baby sister who has this thing on her face. And that's when the ascendancy makes a deal with the Gelfling to align against the Skeksis because the ascendancy realizes that the Skeksis lied to them and that the caves that they promised them were, were had the darkening all in them and they, they would eventually be corrupted and die. Yep. So they, the ascendancy, the hive mind turns on, turns on the Skeksis. I thought that was pretty neat. All the Gelfling and the potato people and the, the spider people all working together to defeat the Skeksis. So then uh, Celadon goes to the Skeksi castle, the castle of the crystal, and basically pledges her loyalty to the emperor. And he basically spits in that loyalty and says, now we're going to, we're going to kill y'all. And eat your ass. And then she even bends so low as to like offer him the lives. She said 50 a year. And he's like, no, that's not enough. And all played by Jason Isaacs, who's amazing. Um, it's that crazy commanding voice. Um. And then this actually is where Augur gives up her life to save the two princesses. There we go. Yes. It all comes back together. Uh, so Rian and Deet get half of the dual glaive, which the, the Madra down in the caves has been using as a walking stick for like a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they find out that the other half was hid stone in the woods where Rian is from. Uh, so they head there uh, to find the other piece of the dual glaive. And so this big uh, crucible where people a long time ago, they threw all their swords so that they'd say, we don't need these anymore because we're not fighting as a symbol. And, uh, but it's still in there. So he grabs it and then magic stuff happens. Uh, that's right. He unites the two and that gives them like a link to the crystal and in turn, a link to all the Gelfling. Like basically everyone has a fire. Has this, they can, he can talk to anyone them. has a fireplace. So he is now transmitting this message across all of Thra to all Gelfling of what the terrible things the Skeksis have done. Pretty powerful. And the Gelfling are called to reunite in Stone in the Wood to fight the Skeksis. Skexo hops on the channel like a mom picking up the phone in middle school <laughs> uh, and threatens them and says that Rian's a liar and that all rebellion will be crushed. Um, but it's too late. The sows of rebellion have been, have been, the seeds of rebellion have been sowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they all meet at stone in the woods. Um, Skexo reveals that he is trying the emperor reveals. He's trying to control the darkening to like enhance his power. They don't really get into it too much and they don't really pay it off heavily. Yeah. It's like, cause they only show it like twice where he's saying to talking about his plan to use the darkening to put into his staff to somehow make him powerful. Um, so he orders the scientists to stay behind to start working on this new army of loyal warriors. And so the, the scientist remains behind to work on this while the rest of them go off to stone in the wood to crush the, the Gelfling rebellion. Uh, the general gets put into a fight with Rien, mm-hmm. uh, which while it looks very good at first, he gets stabbed by the dual glaive and then the pommel, a crystal in the pommel of the, of the sword glows and starts draining essence out of him. That's what it was doing. It was the same animation, so my assumption is that. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, I was thinking about it. 
Um, and we should mention that earlier on when Deet was escaping from her home uh, place that she got the power of that magical tree that told her to go off on an adventure in the first place to, to absorb the darkening. Right. Yeah. That was a big part, man. There's so much in this show. <laughs> um, and so this is where, so as soon as that happened, I went, Oh my God, the prophecy applies twice. Which so one? the prophecy uh, in the original is um, what once was sundered and undone will now behold the two made one by Gelfling hand or else by none. The sword. And I one. immediately went the dual glaive matches that prophecy too. And in that moment that I put that together, I went, Oh my God, the shard of the crystal is in the base of the sword before they ever revealed it. Ah, yes. It was such beautiful fan service that I was taken aback by it. <laughs> I didn't think about that. But the exact same prophecy that ran the movie completely applied to this as well. Nice. Good job, yeah, writers. Great. Yeah, great job, writers. <laughs> to the point where like I was truly taken aback. Um so the general is like gravely wounded. Uh Chamber the Chamberlain actually goes and stabs him and puts him out of his misery. Well, against his will. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Um the hunter comes back. And he is, finds Rian and is about to kill him. And then the archer sacrifices himself, jumps off a cliff, killing both of them. He's connected to him as a mystic. So then the, the, uh, the Gelflings start their attack. They're throwing bombs and people are flying and they're stabbing and jumping. And the <laughs> battle scene was a little bit lackluster. Yeah. I think it was, it was mostly a little limitation of the puppets. Yeah, a little anything. bit confusing at times. They couldn't stay with one group for too long. Uh, and then the emperor unleashes the power of the darkening, which Deet absorbs and then redirects and blows up one of the Skeksis. Yeah. The only female that was well, one of the only females left. Yes. One of the only females left. Her pustules explode with her. Um, so Deet is now like darkened and purple and filled with the darkening. Um, the Skeksis retreat and run away and that's when they find the shard of the crystal well they run away only when the um the rest of the gelfling suddenly show up and help them that's right and the rest of the the rest of the insurrection shows up and they're forced to retreat for now um they find the lost shard um deet leaves the group because she is not sure what this new power means and she like corrupts everything as she walks and she gets a little quiet and weird yeah just takes off um so then there are these characters that um, the Grunax, which were a gift to the scientist from the Chamberlain after he got his eye plucked out of his head by a bug. Mm -hmm. And they're these weird, these weird creatures, humanoids that we haven't seen anywhere else in the universe whose mouths are sewed shut, who are, are said to be mechanically minded and are supposed to be the scientist helpers. Right. And they look so familiar to me. I was like, these weren't around and before. They were, they were so sad. And, and I remember kept looking at Anna. I was like, I don't know how they're going to pay these things off. Like, it's so weird that they're including these two random things. Um, so they finally like form their own insurrection against the scientist who throws one of them into the pit and kills the other one brutally. Yes. Yeah, like smashes like, his head and blood spatters death. on his face. I'm like, this is not for children. <laughs> but then that's when he realizes he can use the corpse to merge it with the spider corpse to create his soldiers somehow. And that's where the, uh, the Grunak and the uh, Arathim become the Gartham. The weird creatures that help them out and the, the spider people. 
Um, and so that's sort of how it ends is them revealing this, the Gartham, which inevitably led to the downfall of the Gelfling. Cause apparently they get sent out and just murder all of them. Yeah. Happy ending. Um, there are a few loose ends. My, I really hope it gets a season two. Yeah. Well, they made all those damn costumes and sets. I think they might want to do it. Use a season two. They better. I'll be so disappointed if they don't, they left so much story open. Well, it's gotten rave reviews, so I can't imagine they won't. Yeah. There's money to be made. Um, okay. So here's the thing. I, things I didn't necessarily like. Okay. Uh, I didn't feel like the music was assertive enough. I know you said you liked it, but it was such a huge part of the original film that anything less than what they did just felt a little underwhelming. It wasn't present. So enough. if anything, it just wasn't present enough. Gotcha. It was definitely there. It just wasn't present enough in my book. Um, I felt a little betrayed as an audience member and a fan because I knew the lore as like a super fan knew the lore of Thra. And so in the opening narration, when, you know, Sigourney Weaver tells you something completely counter, like not completely, but just counter to what I knew. I was like, Oh, that's weird. They decided to do that. And I kind of felt lied to which part because they're like, this is the history of Thra. And then seven episodes later, they're like, Oh yeah, we lied. That wasn't really the history of Thra, but we meant you to accept it as the history of Thra at the beginning of the show. Oh, I didn't even notice because the thing is the Skaxies didn't come down. It was the earth who ruled for a thousand years. And then at the next great conjunction, that is when they split into the Skeksis and the Uru. That was confusing. And they reveal that in the puppet show, but the opening, the opening thing that was meant to set up this world lied to us. And I felt kind of like, what, what the literal unreliable narrator. (laughs) It'd be fine to leave something out, but they literally told us the incorrect information. Right. And then it made the mystics so was confusing because it's like, well, when did the mystics show up then? If that, that doesn't make any sense. Um, the the Grunax were another part where I was like, why? Are they? they just felt like such a tack on through the whole show. Uh, and then my biggest problem is that they really wanted to differentiate the, Gelf- differentiate the Gelfling, mm-hmm. which I get. You got a little bunch of little like mouse looking puppets. <laughs> I get that you want them to look different so the audience can tell them apart. I felt like there were certain Gelfling like types, the Stonewood specifically whose faces were shaped in such a way that they couldn't emote. Yeah. Like Rien, you know, the main guy character, his face had no movement. It was so aggravating to then see him next to a puppet like Deet, who had a ton of facial movement and could really express and have eye motions and stuff. And then to put her next to this, like, face that could barely move was so aggravating to me. Well, the thing was with Deet, too, is that they used CGI for her eyes. Uh, they used CGI to augment a bunch of characters, but especially her. Uh, they used to, they said her eyes were too big to like move with the uh, the hands, like a, a puppeteer. Mm-hmm. So all of her eye movements were CGI, just her in particular, um, which makes her um, even more lovable because all those facial expressions. Right, but it, it just it, it just felt that certain certain types of puppets suffered, including the, ma- the 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 lead guy, like the lead of the the of the story, had no emotion. I mean, he was, I feel like Deet was more of the lead anyways. He was just, yeah, he was kind of boring and like a two-dimensional character. Um, and I think Taron Edgerton did a fine job playing him, voicing him, but it's just the character itself was kind of just uninteresting to me. Um, yeah. He had the dad story, I guess, but. Um, and, but, but, uh, but that, and then I agree, there were times that it was just overindulgent. 
and they I, stayed in the scene a minute too long. Yeah. And so there's some editing problems, which is really nitpicky. I'm just saying that there's a lot of scenes yeah. where they stayed on a Gelfling face, which already doesn't have much expression to give for too long after the scene's over, like just staring at what just happened and not really moving. I'm like, why isn't this cut away yet? So it's like a little slow yeah. editing and a lot of, but it's a very nitpicky thing. Um, but overall, even as a super fan, I was blown away. There were twists. I weren't expecting. There was fan service that blew me away. I cannot say enough for the dark crystal age of resistance. Yeah. And if you know nothing about the original movie, it's still worth watching. It's, it's a lot. It's of still an epic, fanic, good versus evil. All the archetypes you're expecting. Great voice acting. Yeah. So yeah, beautiful worlds, tons to take in. Uh, so this gets like like seventy two Raul Julius. <laughs> it gets a uh, ten very very pleased Raul Julius for me. All right, good, fair. I'll take that. <laughs> uh, so that's been Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance. I recommend you check it out. Yeah, and let us know what you guys think about the show. If you actually enjoyed it, if you thought I was missing something, or if it was the best thing you've ever seen in your life. Uh, for me, it was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> That's saying a lot. Damn. Uh, I mean, as a super fan, I was truly blown away. Um, but now let's talk. Uh, so while we're reviewing things, I guess that takes us into some trailer reviews. It does. <laughs> All right, so first one we got up here is called Knives Out. Now, this trailer came out a little while ago, but there's a kind of a lackluster amount of trailers out right now, mostly just horror flicks that are pretty dumb. So uh, this one looks great. Uh, it's kind of a ensemble cast murder mystery thing. So let's go ahead and play that now. I'm Detective Lieutenant Elliot, and this is Trooper Wagner. We just want to ask a few questions. We understand the night of his demise... The family had gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. How was it, by the way? The party? Pre my dad's death? Oh, it was great. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to request that you all stay until the investigation is completed. What? Can we ask why? Has something changed? No. No, it hasn't changed, or no, we can't ask. I'm gonna live. Till I die. You think one of his family walls walls killed? Is that what you're suggesting? You all love twisting the knife into one another. Up your ass. Oh, very nice. Matter of fact, eat shit. How's that? Eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit. Smug smile. Definitely eat shit. You know something. Spill it. I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. I'm gonna miss. It's a twisted web. We are not finished untangling it, not yet. What is this? CSI KFC? <laughs> Until I die. I will say right at the get go, that's been one of my favorite songs since I was a kid. So I'm happy to see <laughs> it being used somewhere. <laughs> not nice. A very, not a very popular Frank Sinatra song. Uh, what'd you think of so the this trailer? Looks like a, it looks like a mix between Clue and Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. I can see um, that. I guess. I'm not sure. These movies have not done particularly well recently. That being said, the cast behind this is so impressive that maybe this one's going to break that mold. Yeah, like we had the um, the hotel one recently. Uh, mm-hmm. had John Hammond, a big old ensemble cast. That was actually really good. I really enjoyed it. Um 
these kind of movies are just I always enjoy them. And this is done by written and directed by Ryan Johnson, who did um, Looper, uh, The Last Jedi. Um, just makes a lot of good stuff. I think I like everything he's done. Um, OK, but it's got this one has James Bond in it. Uh, Craig, Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig, Jimmy Lee Curtis, Chris Evans, one of the kids from it. Yeah. showed up very quickly christopher Plummer. um there's man there were a lot of names in it a lot of names but it could be really good or it could be a total dud but i'm excited about it. when you get that many good people on screen it can turn into a competition and that's when movies get bad yeah it's like too much at one time so i'm kind of hoping they didn't show a lot of, of them in different places in the trailer so i'm guessing they kind of start dropping off or, or dying um, yeah that would be my hope so it won't be too full the whole movie yeah, you can't keep that many big names for that long. And you can this tell a Marvel film. Chris Evans was so excited just to be cursing because he's out of his Captain America yeah, role. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. So I have uh, uh, four out of five Raul Julia's going, oh, very nice. Uh, I have one Raul Julia, but in that really comfortable like red velvet robe he has in Adam's family. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So what do we have next? Next one is not uh, not Jojo Rabbit. I read those backwards. <laughs> so here we go. Here's Master Jojo. You're a top man. Prepare to leave the house. Today you boys will be involved in such activities as war games, <laughs> ambush techniques, and blowing stuff up. I don't think I can do this. Russ? Of course you can. Abadam comes to... When I was your age, I had an imaginary friend. Got me in so much trouble. Kids, it's time to burn some books. Yeah! You're growing up too fast. Ten-year-olds shouldn't be celebrating war and talking politics. Hi, Hitler. I wish more of our young boys had your blind fanaticism. <laughs> Did you know Jews can read each other's minds? But how would you know if you saw one? look just like us. Hi. Ah! You know what I am? Sid. A Jew. Gesundheit. Sheesh. That was intense. What am I going to do? No idea. Got it. I've but negotiated. Burn down the house and blame Winston Churchill. Or negotiate. If I tell on you, you'll be in big trouble. They'll never win. Love is the strongest thing in the world. Your mother took me in. She's kind. She treats me like a person. You two seem to be getting on well. She doesn't seem like a bad person. I'm the enemy. You're not a Nazi, Jojo. You're a ten-year-old kid who likes dressing up in a funny uniform and wants to be part of a club. Yogi? Oh, God. Nothing makes sense anymore. Yeah, I know. It's definitely not a good time to be a Nazi. <laughs> um, so this is by Taika Waititi, who did What We Do in the Shadows and Thor Ragnarok. And was it Where the Wildebeests Are? Hunt for the Wilder People. That. Yeah. Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, I trust him. This is a crazy subject matter. Yes. And honestly looks more like a Wes Anderson film. I wouldn't see. Well, I don't like Wes um, Anderson either, but I trust Taika Waititi. It looks insane. 
apparently he's been trying to make this movie for like 10 years, but he didn't have the clout yet and no studio would walk near it. Uh, but now that he's got all these big films under his belt, they finally let him do this movie. And it's basically what you can't hear from the audio is a little German boy in World War II. Germany, Hitler youth. Hitler youth, whose imaginary friend is Hitler. And Taika Waititi plays Hitler in this film. Um, and then you have uh, Scarlett Johansson as the mother. And then you basically this boy ends up meeting a little Jewish girl who's hidden away um, and starts to become friends with her and realizes what he's doing and supporting is crazy. Um, so it seems in the trailer. Um, but like you said, I, I everything that Taika Waititi's done, I've loved massively. So I don't know how I cannot like, unless he just totally screws up this one. All right, I trust him, but this is just an insane premise. It really is. So I'll be interested. I think it's gonna be a flip of a coin. Yeah, but that's Jojo Rabbit, folks. So what do you give um, it? <laughs> this, uh, I don't know. This has like at least six Raul Julias. Uh, but going down that big slide with Christopher Lloyd in Adam's family. <laughs> Very nice. Mine just has uh, four Raul Julius standing and clapping thoughtfully. Yes. Oh, I like that. Yeah, just thoughtfully. Thoughtful cla- clap is classy. <laughs> it is. And Raul Julius classy. <laughs> so does that bring um, us some radical recommends? I believe it brings us some radical recommends. I recommend. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. What are you recommending for us this episode? So this week, uh, I didn't have to dive too heavy on YouTube because these people have a lot of subscribers, but they have a lot of subscribers because it's very, very good. Uh, And it's a channel called Defunct Land. Okay. D-E-F-U-N-C-T-L-A-N-D. And it is a, they, they put together these, these th- segments that are between five and some of them up to 25 or 30 minutes, um, sort of chronicling the middle history of Disney and their attractions. Okay. In that uh, they talk about like, do you remember Disney quest? Oh yeah. They do a whole thing about how it was developed and the idea and then what happened to it and how it was received um, and they do this for Disney. They also do it for Universal. They talk about like how the Jaws ride was made and who pushed for it and what changes it went through and what failed and what they had to change. Um, and they do this for all the rides that you and I grew up with in Orlando. Nice. Including classic ones like 24,000 Leagues on the Sea. They cover uh, like the history of Ghostbusters shows at the Universal Parks. And uh, same thing with Beetlejuice. Like Beetlejuice has had multiple shows at the Universal Parks over the years. Oh, yeah. Uh, they talk about like rarely seen uh, Disney characters, like the rarest Disney characters to see out and about um, different light shows and how they came to be. Uh, there was a, originally supposed to be an entire Indiana Jones, like part of the park, oh, its own section. Uh, and it was going to feature a giant temple that itself had three rides that went in or out of it, three completely different rides. And they did that. And it was just too much. Uh, they talk a lot about Eisner and sort of him grabbing the horns of the company and yes, eventually leading it to some good success, but also trying a lot of really terrible failure things. Mm. Uh, the, the one that I had kind of forgotten about was called club Disney, Sounds which familiar. was Disney's answer to discovery zone. Oh, discovery zone. Like the big, uh, place where kids like go ball pits and yeah. running and games and stuff. It was Disney trying to cash in on that. And they opened 30 locations and they all died a terrible death. Oh God. Um, 
but it's just really cool in depth of the, the rides that you loved and how they got made and the struggles they went through and the changes they've had. Um, one of the most interesting ones I saw was there was a ride that they were going to open up. It was like a paparazzi ride where you got into a cab and, and like went around Hollywood and you got to see animatronics of like Tim, Tim Allen doing stand up. And Jackie Chan doing a stunt. And the whole idea is you were going on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and seeing these animatronic celebrities. Um, but then Princess Diana died in that terrible paparazzi chase and they yeah. had to can the entire ride. Oh, wow. Um, so they did run a few times with a few adjustments, but then it sat vacant and they reskinned it with a Monsters Inc. ride. Oh. That is currently at Disneyland that Anna and I went on where you get into a taxi in monster town or whatever the hell and you go through the story. But the best part is, is they didn't have the money to fully reskin it. So the animatronics, a lot of them just have like new costumes on them. But they are Tim Allen and Jackie Chan animatronics are still there in the same place. They're just wearing yellow biohazard suits like in the movie. That's so funny, but it's the same, like just, just crazy stuff like that. So I highly recommend it. Defunct land. Just some really cool stuff. It's amazing how much fascination there is for just these rides and the lore behind all this stuff. Something mysterious and, myst- and mystique about it. I don't know. It's strange. But very cool. Defunct uh, land. Uh, mine for this episode, I haven't had a chance to watch much else besides Dark Crystal the time I've been back from uh, Dragon Con. But I watched a little bit of Lucifer. Um, it's been recommended to me by so many friends it was getting annoying. So I finally watched it. I'm like, this is going to be stupid and silly. And it is a little stupid and silly, but it's a lot of fun. Um, if you guys like Supernatural, the TV show, which I've loved, um, you'll really like this. It's just with even more sex and more um, more violence, and but still fighting angels and demons and a lot of funny moments. It's a very funny show. But basically, Lucifer comes. Um, he, wants to, he wants to give up uh, running hell. So he comes to Earth in human form. And he loves having sex and partying and stuff and nothing doesn't really care about much. But then he meets this woman through a sequence of events who's a detective, a homicide detective. And he starts helping her with her cases, even though she can't stand him. So that, that, that's that been used a lot in different shows. It's like, oh, there's the guy that she can't stand and she's the hard-nosed detective and like Castle and all those shows. But it just right. it adds a fun element to it because he has some superpowers and stuff because he's Lucifer. And so there's an element of unpredictability there. Yeah. And I love the, the paranormal aspect. Sometimes his, his brother, who's an angel in heaven, comes down to see him and everything slows down around them. And he's just trying to convince him to go back to hell. So put things back into balance. And the funnier part, too, is that he never lies as Lucifer. It's like one of his things he just doesn't do. He doesn't lie. So people ask him his name. He's like, oh, Lucifer Morningstar. Nice to meet you. <laughs> and every time it's just like, that's who I am. He's like, wait, like the devil He's like, why? Yes. <laughs> so it's just really kind of amusing in that regard. And every person he talks to is compelled to tell them their deepest, darkest desires, um, except for this one woman, the the detective. That's why he's fascinated by her, because she doesn't fall for his power somehow. So it's it's really fun to watch. So I could get her to go. It's on Netflix. OK, Lucifer, check it out, everyone. All right. And now for a small. Thank you, section. Can't play this because of algorithm. <laughs> so. And even now we're going to get pulled. So we might have gotten some messages or tweets or something like that, but we've been in a crazy place. So I just want to take a second to thank you all for listening for all these years and all the newcomers, anyone else who's listening and for allowing us to sometimes take a break and still sticking with us when we come back. So just thank you listeners to all of you out there. Yeah. We're going to keep on doing it for as long as we can tolerate each other, (laughs) which hopefully will be for a long time. 
Cause like we, we completely passed the four year and like, didn't do anything. Did we? Yeah, we uh, definitely passed the four year. We'll do every five Absolutely years. Absolutely, we did. <laughs> All right, so we'll do the next one in five. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, uh, so keep on tuning in. We will keep coming back and being your nerdy co-hosts. If you guys keep coming back and being our nerdy audience, thanks again, Internet. Stay nerdy, my friends. Thanks for listening to a play on nerds. Find all of this content and even more nerdy news, reviews, and fun at www.aplayonnerds.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so you know the exact second we release new podcasts, articles, and other nerdy content. We know you're impatient. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Buzzsprout, Podomatic, and whatever the hell else you use. Also, please leave us a rating and review on your chosen podcast platform so we can be discovered by even more nerds like yourself. However you do it, check us out. And how. How?